It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. This episode is brought to you by Zencaster, the amazing platform I've been using to record the audio and video versions of this show since March 2020. It is the number one tool I recommend to podcasters. So if you're thinking of starting your own show or optimizing one you already have, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try and you can enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan. WELLEVATOR is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. Today's episode is going to focus around survival, self-reliance, and purposeful living. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with the guest Clint today because I'm wanting to learn more about those subject matters. More and more, I find myself wanting to better understand how to be more self-reliant and be prepared, I suppose. (laughs) Sometimes life feels incredibly... Well, of course, it's always unpredictable, but there are a lot of things going on, especially in the last few years that have had me thinking that I want to be prepared for the worst case scenario, to be frank, (laughs) but also just simple, more pleasant things like um, my recent road trips and camping experiences. It was really revealing to me that I didn't know basic survival. I didn't know a lot of self-defense. I still don't. That's something I'm very interested in, but I didn't even know how to start a campfire. And there was this kind of primal feeling of, I need to figure these things out. I think for some reason they've gone on the back burner. I grew up on a small farm and my parents were kind of into gardening, but I never learned how to garden or grow food. And I think in the past few years, that's been coming up a lot and concerns around food sourcing, you know, that that panic I felt when the shelves were empty at the grocery stores and thinking, wow, if I don't even know how to grow my own food, what do I do? And building shelter, you know, like thinking about <laughs> what if things got to a apocalyptic uh, points and do I have protection? I don't know how to shoot a gun. I've, you know, I don't even really know how to use any self-defense at all. And and again, even when I'm traveling, especially by myself, that crosses my mind a lot. Like, what would I do if I was threatened in either that more abrupt way or in a long-term perspective? So Clint, that's why I was really interested in bringing you on. Um, There's a quote, I think, on your website from someone else who said, the past two years have reminded us that society is fragile As citizens, it is our responsibility to be as self-reliant as possible. And I imagine there are a lot of people who have not even thought about that, like me. But this responsibility angle, I think, is super interesting. So thank you for coming on the show and doing the work that you're doing to educate people. And I wanted to start off with, do you feel really prepared right now, (laughs) like given your background? Do you feel like you feel safer right now with that knowledge? Or do you feel like it's a never-ending feeling of needing to learn more and always be on your toes? Well, first, Whitney, thanks for having me. And to answer that simple, yeah, you always, for me personally, I always feel like a student, you know, never really an instructor or a master or an expert. Um, I feel like anybody who labels themselves that, you know, they're probably getting ahead of themselves, you know? But I am consistently and constantly learning and putting these books together is like a great way to really stay on top of skills that I feel like, you know, every citizen should have. 
Um, and, you know, and if you can't, you know, learn all of them, learning some of them will certainly take you to the next level. And, but basically we should always be learning. We should always be taking in new knowledge, you know, especially new technology because it changes so fast because these days all of both technology and old school ways like you brought up, like building a fire, a lot of it can be combined to make it a lot easier on people. And really the books that I've been doing are focused just on that. It's giving you the easy way because I feel like sometimes all of these worlds of self-defense and self-reliance can be overwhelming and maybe even feel complicated. So me, I like to dumb things down, not just for the readers, but for myself, (laughs) because I don't really consider myself the smartest guy in the room at any given moment. So anyway, yeah, I think everyone should know this stuff at a minimum and should start kind of, you know, looking more into it, especially after this pandemic. Yeah. Let's talk about the dumbing down and like this beginner's mind, right? Like, where do you start? Because for me, I had to learn about building a fire because, well, I, I guess I didn't have to, but I was camping and I I wanted to have a fire everywhere you know, at these campsites. Everyone's got these roaring fires. And it was really humbling because I didn't realize what it took to build a fire. I didn't, you know... I guess some people think of it as easy, but when you're a beginner, you realize it's actually not that easy to make a fire. And so I'm looking around seeing all these people with these huge flames and I could barely get it started. And I had to actually go and ask some friends with experience to teach me how to build a fire. And I'm still not great at it yet. It's taking a lot of practice. So that felt like an important step for me in the camping realm. But when it comes to surviving and self-reliance, what else is really important for beginners? Like what like basic foundational things do you need to learn? Well, I think immediately what comes to mind is, you know, what I call your life support oriented stuff, right? So when we think about survival, we think about, you know, food, we think about water, we think about warmth, you know, and those are just the basics. And then you take another step into it, then you have your medical, both trauma and medication-related stuff. And when you put it all together, those become the items that you should have on you at all times. In the everyday carrier EDC world, which has become popular, one of those things they talk about is the go bag. And a go bag is something that's pre-built, ready to go, that at a minimum has your life support items, but then also you can add in an extra change of clothes and warmies. You can add a bunch of stuff into it, along with weapons and, you know, flashlights and shortwave radios. You can really get carried away with it, you know. But I like to keep it small, compact, and then have multiple bags in multiple locations that are always ready to go, knowing that they can provide me what I need to survive, let's say, 24 to 72 hours, you know. So what do you put in there? personally? Like what are the basic items in your go bag? Well, I mean, I have variations. The smallest one has, you know, it has fire, different forms, right? I mean, people tend to go, hey, you need a magnesium rod, you know, or like what some people just call a flint stick or whatever. That's great, but you can also put a lighter in there too, right? We're talking about let's take modern and combine it with that old school stuff. You don't have to you know, limit yourself just to these like magnesium rods and creating spark, spark fuel and oxygen creates fire. It's just, hey, I'll just carry a lighter. (laughs) So, you know, lighters, not a bad idea. Emergency blankets, right? Those, uh, the, the kind that are reflective on both sides, there's different variations of those, but having at least one or two of those is a good idea for warmth and feeding the elements. Of course, food. I usually take MREs and break them down to just the meals. So it's a much smaller, lighter, you know, package, if you will, because really you just want the calories. And so you pull all the extra goodies out and just put the calories in your bag. Shelter, another thing, you know, shelter is as simple as, you know, some 550 cord and, you know. What's that? Oh, 550 cord? (laughs) Yeah, any kind of cordage, like parachute cord. It's become really popular. You can get different colors. You can get it on Amazon super cheap. But you can take a poncho, you know, like big rain, you know, 
poncho and you can combine that with 550 cord and that's a shelter, right? You can do a lean to or a typical like tent style. I'm trying to use just simple verbiage, but a line from tree to tree and then you drape that contra over it, right? And now you sleep under that, keeps you out of the elements, out of the weather. And if you take it low enough to the ground, it can even insulate you and keep heat in and keep the bugs out. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there these days that you can buy and put in your little go bag. But those are really the big pieces I would think about is food, water. Now, water is all about how do I contain it? And then how do I make it drinkable, right? So there's a lot of filters out there, some that are bigger than others. Uh, The Sawyer is what I like. It's super small. You basically fill up a, a very flexible canteen, if you will, and then you hook the Sawyer onto it. You squeeze it. The Sawyer in itself is the filter, and you're squeezing it now into a different container like a Nalgene bottle. So it passes through the Sawyer, then it's in your Nalgene bottle. Now you know you're good to go, right? Or you could go old school and make sure you have a container that is fire-resistant, you know, like a titanium cup or something, and you can heat up and boil the water before you drink it, which is always a good idea. As you're noticing, for every piece that you of survivability, water, food, heat, you know, shelter, medical, now the gear requirements for each of those categories start to stack up. But the beauty of technology and evolution of all of those items out there is that There's nice, small, compressed, you know, parts and pieces these days that allow you to build this out and still keep it relatively small so that if you have it in your vehicle or have it at home, you can just grab it and go. You know, it's obviously you don't want to be lugging around a big trunk full of stuff with you everywhere. (laughs) So keeping it simple, once again, simple, simple, simple. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm finding this very exciting and stimulating because I think it's from the camping side just two years ago is my first venture into camping and in a significant way. And I remember feeling so overwhelmed with all of this gear that you're listing out. But I found that if I just started to get the basics, but also once I started camping, then I realized what else I needed and where my ignorance was. And so I could educate myself and buy more along the way. And because you, I mean, everybody's got all these opinions about what to buy and it can certainly be expensive. And I think sadly, some of the survival stuff is really marketed for that fear mindset, you know, and and same thing goes with survival in general and living in a place like Los Angeles, as I do, we always have this concern about earthquakes. And actually the very first time I started to think about survival in this way was being urged to create an earthquake emergency bag and a lot of the things that you're describing are what would go into that. So I still have the remnants of it, but I remember like thinking, oh my gosh, like some of the stuff expires, you know, even matches, like the waterproof matches expire. And of course, food does and water and, yeah. you know, feeling like you have to constantly stay on top of it, which just you, that now talking about that makes me overwhelmed. <laughs> so it's interesting, but it also reminds me of. Just like a few months ago, as of the time we're recording this, there was a big story about how on the East Coast, a winter storm trapped a bunch of people on the highway. There was like a big accident or I forget exactly what happened, but some people were stuck on the highway in their cars for about 24 hours. And that led to a lot of discussions around having a go bag in your car because these people were running out of gas, so they couldn't stay warm in the car. They didn't have food. They were nowhere near like rest stops or anything. They're just stuck on the highway in the winter and feeling really helpless. And that was like a trigger in my head of, I want to keep this stuff in my car like you're describing. And I just think most people probably haven't even faced that experience in their life. They haven't had to confront it. And that makes them even more prepared So the work that you're doing feels really important for the everyday person. And then, of course, one thing that you talked about in the overview of your book, your new book specifically, but I'm sure this comes up in all your work, is just learning how to grow food. So I'd love to go to that. You know, once you've got the basics set up for a true emergency, 
you can start to think of like your day-to-day life and how, you know, just having plants in your backyard or even on your windowsill, as, as I think you had pointed out, like if you're in an apartment or something, you don't have to have a yard, but you could sustain yourself with some food that you grow. So I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah, I think you hit some good points. What we consider survival, you know, when you talk about food, water, shelter, you know, and the medical aspects, those are kind of your big priorities. And then there's, like I said, a ton of subcategories. That's preparedness for the worst case scenario. But one of the things I've been stressing for a very long time is just the big umbrella of self-reliance, meaning it's part of your lifestyle. It's not, okay, I got to have all this stuff when a good day goes bad. It's no, I'm just doing all these things that are part of my lifestyle, kind of organic to my world. And no matter what happens, I know I'm good. I don't necessarily need a special bag or a bunch of stuff to then be able to survive. And I think the pandemic and now with, you know, wars kicking off in Europe, It's crazy to say that. We can never underestimate what's going to happen next. Who would have thought that we would have a pandemic? And now, who would have thought that Russia is invading, you know, a sovereign European country, all of which have global effects? And so the more self-reliant you are, the less global crisis will affect you. Because in an essence, you are insulating yourself from the rest of chaos in the world, uh, the more self-reliant you become. And so with this most recent book, The Rugged Life, that is its number one goal. It was, here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and I thought to myself, wow, the world put all of its importance on toilet paper and hand sanitizer, you know? And it makes you wonder, like, okay, where is everybody's mind at? Why is toilet paper becoming the priority? And there was still rice and beans on the shelves. Like, it's crazy to me. And so, you know, I wanted to take the world of 100 Deadly Skills, which is all about surviving bad guys, surviving crisis, and surviving those natural disasters. And I wanted to kind of broaden it to, wait a minute. What were the things that every American, man, woman, and child all knew when this country was stood up? It was just how to live. We call it survival skills. But no, back then it was just, no, those were daily tasks in order to live each day. (laughs) So we have forgotten it. And so I wanted to put together a book that highlighted in a very simple fashion the 10 big pieces of a self-reliant lifestyle. And that is what the rugged life is. And as you mentioned, growing your own food. You know, if I open this thing up, I got it right here, and I figure we'll use it as an outline instead of me just regurgitating. But you go to the chapters, and number one, it's be your own builder. Chapter two, be your own farmer. So let's go over and check it out. Be Your Own Farmer is your interest, and it's also was an interest of mine. So I traveled the United States to homesteaders. Some of them were completely off the grid, and some of them were on grid. And for those of you that don't know what a homesteader is, it's basically a small farm, and everything they do, they provide for the family. Whereas a traditional farm, they grow everything, and it's to sell it. But a homesteader grows everything to use for themselves. And like I said, everyone should know a little bit of this stuff, right? So being your own farmer requires, number one, land, (laughs) at least a little bit. But like you mentioned, I wanted people to be able to dip their toe into self-reliance without having to take the full jump. So if you are in L.A. or you live in an apartment in New York, you can do a vertical garden. You can do a window seal garden. These are things that are... I mean, there's kits on Amazon now that are actually really cheap that allow you to do these beautiful vertical gardens that take up very little space in an apartment. And as long as you position it where it gets some sunlight, you can literally start growing 
your own food in the middle of the urban jungle. You know what I mean? It's just so cool how easy it is now. But the requirements are pretty straightforward. You got to have water, you have to have sunlight. And a lot of times with farming, whether it's food, whether it's plants or animals, you have to be there all the time, right? So if you enjoy taking long trips or short trips or vacations, or you're gone on business trips, then that little farm you're creating in your window seal may not be successful. So like any of this self-reliant stuff, you kind of have to be there for it. You have to be present, you know, and some people don't have the time for that. So like they do with their dogs, they have people come and watch them and walk them and feed them. You might have to do that with your gardens if you happen to live, you know, in urban America. But I'll kind of stop there because I could keep going once again and let you uh, ask the questions that you're interested in. (laughs) Before March 2020, every guest on this show recorded with me in person because I wanted to ensure the highest quality sound possible. But this took extra time and effort to produce. Plus, it limited me to people who were visiting or living in Los Angeles. When I switched to Zencaster, I realized how much easier remote recording was for me and my guests. Now everyone can easily record studio quality sound from the comfort of their own homes. If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com and enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of the pro plan, which is what I use. I can't wait to hear your show, so send it over to me as soon as it's live. So much about what you're sharing is humbling because it points out a lot of privilege that people have to not even have to think about these things, you know, right. like in a city like, well, most, you know, U.S. cities, at least you might think, well, why do I need to grow my own food? The market's right down the street. I mean, I can literally walk to at least one market and pick up lettuce. I don't need to grow it. I don't need to store rice and beans right now. Maybe that's exactly what happened during the pandemic. You couldn't grow your own toilet paper. So that's what people went for. I maybe had the privilege of of taking for granted things like rice and beans. So they left on the shelf, figured it'll always be there. I do remember, though, actually the store down the street, the very first time I went in there at the height of the beginning of the pandemic, and seeing the empty shelves. And it was this sense of overwhelming panic that I had never quite experienced. I remember even like the energy of the people in the grocery store felt so on edge. And then another grocery store I went to, the long lines, sometimes wrapping around the store. I mean, that feeling of what do I do if they run out of food? Yeah. And so... That was a big awakening and also reminds me of in June 2020, Black Lives Matter riots were happening. And it was the very first time, speaking of privilege, that I had ever felt very physically unsafe. From my window where I'm sitting right now, I could see smoke and helicopters. I could hear them. And that was because there were all these big riots and things were being burned in the city And I had the news on and like, you know, the stores being broken into and, you know, there was so much. And a lot of that was happening right down the street from me. Some of the worst things in Los Angeles were blocks away. And I remember feeling another sense of panic months after that first one during the pandemic of, wow, am I prepared to defend myself and the answer is no. Like, I, I mean, what do I do if someone broke in? What if I happen to be walking down the street and I, and you know, got myself in a bad situation or, you know, all of those things crossing my mind for the very first time. And many people have the privilege of not having encountered those things. So th- I guess the next part of your book that I'm really curious about is the self-defense or even just the physical survival side of things is, yeah, just the basics of what do you do? What do you do to protect your body? Not just from what you're putting in it with food and and shelter to protect it, but like, what about other people? Yeah, that's, you know, all these different threats we face these days, you know, it's insane, right? In the middle of a pandemic where the virus is the threat, you know, we had, 
the human threat that escalated. We had, you know, it's a ripple effect, you know, this accordion, you know, the economies where money becomes the threat. <laughs> you know, it's like all these things going on and it's crazy times, crazy times that we're all living through. And the person versus person. I like, once again, to keep it as simple as possible. And one of the books on the 100 Deadly Skills series is the combat edition. Now, combat might sound scary, but what it does is it breaks down hand-to-hand, knife, pistol, rifle, and some other tools that you can use to protect yourself. And with that book, I went around the nation and visited with all the experts in different verticals. So hand-to-hand guys, pistol guys, rifle guys. And they gave their top five to 10 skills that they thought every person should know, which comprises 100 skills that every person should know. It's not about whether you like guns or not. The reality is it's just good to know how to use them so that if you find yourself in a situation where a bad guy has a gun and all of a sudden you're wrestling the bad guy for it, whether you're a gun guy or an anti-gun person, It's probably a good idea to know once you wrestle that gun away from them, what to do with it next, you know? So one of the things I always put out, and it's the first subject of that book, is the nonviolent posture, okay? Nonviolent posture is something as simple as my hands up, my hands are open, and I'm patting the air, right? I'm saying, hey, 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 I don't want any trouble, right? This posture, though, allows me, number one, to get my hands up to protect, you know, my computer, my head. I don't want anything coming and knocking me out because if I'm unconscious, then anything else can happen after that, right? So hands are up, protecting my face. It's an innocent posture, right? Hey, I don't want any trouble. And it's crazy to say this, but if the video cameras are running, this posture protects you. It shows that you're not being violent. But the beauty of this posture is it's a Trojan horse, right? From here, I can palm strike someone in the face really quick. It's a ready position without looking like a ready position. Make sense? (laughs) So the nonviolent posture, and there's many of them. You can do the negotiation stance, which is your hands up, like I'm showing now. You can do the thinker pose, one arm cross, one under under the chin, right? But I can still, from this position strike you in the face as quickly as possible. But at the same time, I can get my hands up and protect myself, right? And there is no right or wrong on what your nonviolent posture is, as long as you train to one of them, right? So I like the negotiation. It looks very innocent, but it's a Trojan horse ready to strike and defend at any given moment. And it puts your hands in between you and the threat and allows you to push danger away, right? But you can use whichever one you want. But after that now is when you start using true skills and techniques, right? So I do recommend people go to your local MMA gym or studio and learn striking, you know, and striking is hands, it's elbows, it's knees, it's leveraging all your extremities to include headbutts to then create pain and get yourself out of a bad situation. You should also learn a little bit about the ground game, because like they say, 99% of the fights or struggles end up on the ground. And so if you know what to do on your back, right, which is a lot of people's worst case scenario, there's being on your back in the jujitsu world has a whole lot of advantages. And most your bad guys aren't going to know that. So being comfortable on your feet, being comfortable on your back certainly are priorities as it relates to hand-to-hand in that self-defense world. But I think the biggest takeaway here is you, number one, you want to create pain and then you want to increase distance because increasing distance increases survivability. You do not want to end up in some five-minute Jason Bourne fight, right? It's create pain, get away. You know, all that Hollywood John Wick stuff is cool to watch, but I can assure you, you don't want to be part of that. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. In this moment, I'm thinking I have a lot to learn because (laughs) that basic summary is so good, but it's helping me recognize that if these basic tips are 
new to me, then I need to learn more because again, now that experience in June of 2020 had passed, I look back and think, well, you know, I was probably pretty safe. I was in my home, you know, there's, they probably weren't trying to come into my home at that point. What was happening was mostly rioting against all the the awful things that were happening in the country and just like the frustration and wanting to rebel against. It was very targeted towards like business and governments, but it wasn't necessarily trying to go after the citizens. But the more cases in which I'd probably need to use that, especially as a woman, unfortunately, is traveling or just walking around the city by myself. You know, there are parts of Los Angeles that feel scary for a woman because maybe they're more unpredictable. Maybe you don't know the neighborhood. And so that's also what I'm very curious about, to your point of like, just these basic things about the distance. But what do you do when it's surprising you, it's taking you off guard? I mean, there's so many stories, especially in the past year, in summer 2021, there were so many stories about people camping, actually, (laughs) and getting killed. And that all happened while I was doing one of my camping trips. And I found myself feeling completely unprepared. I had um, pepper spray. That was it. That's all I was prepared with. And I kept thinking, do I need to get a gun? Like, I don't know how to use a gun. Should I, was that actually putting me in more danger? Should I bring a knife with me? Like, I really did not know what to bring. And then I also didn't know what to do physically with my body, given everything you shared. So what are kind of the basic options for people, whether they're just traveling or going about their day-to-day life, or maybe thinking about worst cases, like (laughs) a more apocalyptic war type situation. Yeah. A whole lot of answers can, I could fill you in with on that one. So I think first of all, readiness is a mindset, right? This isn't something you watch the news in the morning and go, oh, today is, you know, whatever, there's traffic. So we look at traffic, we look at weather, we look at all these things before we walk out the door each day and then kind of make decisions on how we're going to handle those things, right? If it's raining, then I'm taking an umbrella. If there's traffic, well, heck, maybe I'll get two Starbucks instead of one because I'll be sitting there for a while. But very rarely do people go, wait a minute, what if I run into a bad guy? Or what if, you know, there's an earthquake like you brought up living in California, So readiness, it needs to be more holistic in in people's minds, right? And so so that starts, number one, with skills. You got to go out and sign up for some courses and get educated. Start at the basics, start at the bottom, no matter how much you think you know, and then level up, you know, over time. This isn't something you're going to be able to fix about yourself by buying some cool tool or a gun, right? You got to go out and you got to put yourself in some training scenarios that really show you how vulnerable you are. And then those vulnerabilities create a task list list for yourself that you now start checking off, right? And for every person, it's different. But to keep it basic, keep it general, I would say really start taking a look at number one, your personal awareness, right? Look in the mirror before you walk out the door and ask yourself, is there anything I'm wearing, anything that that makes me a target? And if there is, remove it, right? And a lot of times this is based on where you're traveling. Personal awareness can go, I mean, it can be the difference between a bad guy deciding to attack you or not because of the way you dress, your way you handle yourself, and just your general demeanor, right? So that's number one. Number two is your situational awareness, right? You have to get your head out of your phone, get your head out of your, you know, the cockpit of your vehicle, make sure it's up looking around and paying attention to what I call, you know, the alligators in the boat, the alligators just outside the boat, and then the alligators that are inbound, right? (laughs) So you got to kind of look at things in those order, right? So it's the the three meter target, the seven meter target, and then the 15 meter targets. 
because anything that's really close to you obviously is a potential threat and you want to make sure you're aware of it sooner than later. So your personal awareness and your situational awareness really will prevent you from being a victim in, you know, probably 95% of those issues out there, you know. Now, you kind of rolled into guns. And like I said before, I think everyone, regardless of whether you like them or not, you should know how to use them. It's a whole lot safer for everyone if everyone would just learn the basics. And then, you know, we have a saying in the SEAL teams that what makes us advanced is the fact that we master the basics. It's not that we're trying to go out and create all these advanced tactics and advanced ways of doing things. It's that we spend a lot of time on the basics, and that's how you get good at something. And over time, of course, when you're mastering the basics, then a lot of other little techniques and skills you didn't even know you were doing to become efficient at the basics then become these advanced skills that you then concentrate on. So with guns, you really should, everyone should know the basics. And I would say you go to a shooting range, you rent a gun, and, you know, First, you're going to have to get comfortable with the bang that you're hearing next to you, right? The other people shooting guns. I remember my first time as a kid going to a shooting range, and it was the other bangs of guns that made me jump, (laughs) you know? And so right off the bat, that little bit of a sensory overload is good because it's training you that, whoa, gunfire indoors is far louder than gunfire outdoors, Gunfire indoors is also omnidirectional. You can't tell where it's coming from. And this is why in active shooter situations, some people inadvertently run towards gunfire instead of away from it because they think it's coming from one direction than the other. You can't tell when you're inside a building, you're inside of a mall, right? So I tell people all the time, like, make sure when it's an active shooter situation, you got to try and get your eyes on that shooter so that you know confidently which way to run. And that's a whole other world, but it's a reason why going and exposing yourself to guns and gunfire is a healthy thing. It sounds crazy, but it is because if a bad guy is using it against you, then you're not going to inadvertently run the wrong direction and, and get yourself killed. And then once again, if you're going to go and, If guns of interest as it relates to self-defense and you're okay with that, then by all means, get every bit of training you can and then make sure you sustain that training. There's a lot of great people out there teaching how to shoot and how to use your gun in self-defense. And some of the big big things that people don't think about is drawing that weapon. When we talk about I'm walking out the door every day and you've got a concealed carry or you live in a state that, you know, you can constitutional carry, right? Meaning you can carry without going and getting training and getting a license, then by all means, do it, get the training, sustain the training. And then for me, when I walk out the door each day, I draw, right? I do like five to 10 draws from the concealed carry, which, you know, for me, most of the time it's appendix. Sometimes I'll put it at three o'clock on my hip. But I stand in front of the mirror and I draw that gun in a safe manner five to ten times before I walk out the door. One, it keeps that muscle memory alive, right? It keeps me fast, keeps me quick. It forces me to always kind of check my clothing, check the holster, how the holster is being retained to my waistline. And then the gun and its retention inside the holster and the gun setting against to my body, you know, and so on and so forth, right? It's this whole chain reaction of checkpoints just by doing it five to 10 times in front of the mirror. Right. And that way I know if I have to pull this thing, everything's working, right? The last thing you want to do is pull your gun out and the holster is on the end of it. That's not a good day because you're not going to be able to shoot that weapon. Right. But if you're not doing these things then you don't know if it works or not. So drawing becomes an important piece to this whole carry a gun world. The next one is retention. You know, I don't want the bad guy to get that gun. So you better make sure you know how to maintain positive control of your own weapon because the last thing you want is it to be used against you like you brought up. Anyway, there are great courses out there I highly recommend everybody go to that will kind of take you from, you know, those basics and allow you to master them over time 
And then you can then get comfortable enough where you're carrying it every day and you're doing your own little habits and tricks so that you are a much more prepared and ready citizen, which is what we should all be. Well, you've definitely inspired me to make that a priority this year because after thinking this through last year, I said, okay, sometime in 2022, (laughs) I want to take a self-defense class, but I also would like to go to shooting range because like I said, I've, I've never shot a gun to my recollection. And you know, I've barely been around them. And this actually, as you were describing some of these situations, I thought, I think it's incredibly important to have more exposure because I imagine that one of the challenges that you need to overcome is that initial or that fear of the unfamiliar right? Because for me, just seeing a gun, even in an innocent situation, brings up some fear in me because I'm I'm ignorant and I've associated guns with fear. And I know some people that have guns and they actually use them kind of more recreationally. I know people that collect guns, like I've seen them in, in kind of those innocent situations. But in general, I find myself just feeling very unfamiliar and that exposure to your point feels really important. Just practicing something regularly will make it less threatening, but probably for our brains, now that it's familiar, we don't have to overcome that obstacle versus if it's unfamiliar. I imagine if I see a gun, my brain's processing, it's a gun, it's a gun, it's a gun, it's unfamiliar. And that's wasting some time. Mm -hmm. And I imagine in a lot of these situations, you just don't have the time. You need to act right away and you need to be prepared and make it more of a, like I imagine with self-defense, you're training your body to be more automated so that you're not wasting time thinking through what to do next. And that in itself is really compelling for me. So I'm going to make that a priority. Thanks to you. This is a really good reminder. And that also ties into a subject matter that I'm curious about, which is paranoia. And given there's kind of seemingly this fine line between like being prepared because we should be, it's our our responsibility, as I said at the beginning, to be prepared. But what about people that are almost like overly prepared? Is there such thing as being overly prepared and being super paranoid? And then the different levels of paranoia are interesting to me too, because I noticed when I was camping, and this probably ties back into being in an unfamiliar setting, I felt so on edge when I slept. I was like, okay, you know, (laughs) where am I? Who's around me? I was so hyper aware that it felt actually unpleasant. And because I was feeling this paranoia of like, am I safe? Am I safe the whole time? And I don't know if paranoia is going to actually benefit me. I think the awareness benefits me, but I don't want to be at that state of constantly stressed out about surviving. So how do you manage that? Well, I think what you know you're talking about is really managing fear. And fear is interesting because it can be a great tool. It can be a a source that you can leverage. Fear can keep you safe. It can increase your performance. And that's only if you control it. Now, if you let fear control you, then yeah, it turns into paranoia. It turns into panic. It turns into these things that will you know, cause you to make bad decisions, cause you to underperform, you'll, you'll freeze, you know, and you won't do anything. And it'll really clout any of your capabilities if you let it. So as a 20 year plus seal, I can tell you that anything that we were doing, there was always fear driving any one of us. But when you control that fear, then now it's a great tool. Like you can just, it's like this extra boost of energy. It's an extra boost of focus. And it's also, what's interesting about it is it, it also has this extra boost of kind of cautionary thoughts that keep you safe, right? And it allows you to make better decisions about whatever it is you're encountering, you know, but if you, like I said, if you let it take over, man, it'll get you killed in a heartbeat. And uh, that's a bad day. So I think that's really the key is going out, experiencing things, identifying when you're feeling that fear, and then just using it to then focus on what's important at that moment in time. 
and you'll realize like, oh, okay, it's okay to feel it. It's not a big deal. You know, if you're about to jump out of an airplane or if I'm carrying around explosives, you know, now that little fear is going to make me go, okay, how do I want to pack this stuff so that, (laughs) you know, it doesn't cause me, my buddies or the mission any problems or damage, right? Or if I'm going to jump out of an airplane, I'm using that fear to check, double check my equipment, my buddy's equipment and making sure everything's good to go, right? So it's a good thing. Fear is good. You just got to know how to harness it and use it to keep yourself safe and perform better. And that's where I'll kind of definitely leave it there. (laughs) I love that perspective. And it's so interesting because you have a very kind of matter of fact, calming approach about you, which I really appreciate. And it just has me leaning in to want to learn more. And one of the things I saw on uh, the list of what your book covers is how to make your own coconut oil. And I was like, did I read this right? <laughs> Double. I'm like, yeah. can you actually make your own coconut oil? And you had dental floss and soap. Now I know soap you could make, but, yeah. and I guess yeah. dental floss yeah. could be anything. Maybe even that 50-50 rope that you're talking about, I guess that could be dental floss, but coconut oil? Yeah, coconut oil actually is a pain in the ass to make, to be honest with you. But because it's the base, right? I mean, it is the ultimate base. If you have coconut oil and beeswax, you can make shampoo, pomade, candles. I mean, there's so many things you can make with those two ingredients. Obviously, you got to add a couple of more items. But for the most part, coconut oil is this universal tool that you can use for, man, just countless things. So I felt like in rugged life, it's important for people to at least know how to make it, even though it's easier just to go buy it. Because it is this foundation to so many different products that we all use every day. And once again, when you talk about being self-reliant, well then, hey, you might as well know how to make the major ingredient to all these uh, things that we rely on. And no, it's a pain in the ass. The process is in the book. And I try to make it as simple as possible. And anybody who already knows my style, you know, there's more illustrations usually than there are words because I don't like to write, even though I'm an author. (laughs) Wow. Well, I'll definitely be checking out that part. And, you know, coconut oil is such a staple in in the plant-based diet, except I guess there are some people that don't eat oil, but to your point, you're not using it to consume, I imagine. You're using it to like make other things as well. Like it's not just for food. It's what else would you use coconut oil for and survival? You can use it for, I mean, lubricating your weapon, right? I mean, most people don't think, but if you've got, you know, weapons and whether you're at altitude or in freezing weather, you know, there are certain lubricants that don't do well in cold weather as it relates to your, let's say it's a bolt action rifle where coconut oil is unaffected, right? So you can use coconut oil for all kinds of skin issues to include like, you know, me, I just had a big chunk of skin cancer, you know, cut off of my face. So the scar, I just kept putting coconut oil on it each day to keep it, you know, moist and flexible. And it helps with the healing process as well. Other than hair products and soap, I mean, it's countless, like the the number of items that I've listed in here. You know, actually, I'm kind of turning the pages to go to it. That's the reason why I write things down, because I've got a horrible fucking memory. <laughs> so, but I mean, anyway, coconut oil, beside, you know, and then, of course, there's the uh, what some people, the perverted people are probably thinking. I wouldn't say you're perverted. You're probably normal. But, you know, the other uses for coconut oil I think are pretty, uh, you know, apparent as well. (laughs) Very true. I know it's funny. It came up in my mind after I said that I was like, there's a lot of uh, things that you can do with this. And, but I, and then I'm like, wow, I've never, I didn't even think about it in the other context that you brought it up. And it's so cool because it is. If you don't want to make it, you could certainly just bring a jar and it's so accessible now. And I just never connected that with survival. I mean, even just for energy, I imagine oil is so concentrated and calorically, like you could probably survive off of having some coconut oil throughout the day if you had to. 
Is that another yeah, you, you could. perk of having that around? I mean, I'm going to be looking at coconut oil very differently after this conversation, <laughs> like all the different yeah. uses of it. <laughs> so I love that you included that in there. Yeah, I think I was surprised. That was one of those things when I did this little, you know, drive around the country and talk to all these interesting homesteaders that are on grid, off grid, like how important coconut oil was. I mean, I didn't know either, you know, and that's why I was like, whoa, you know, I'm just going to throw that in here and give it just a, a touch of its many uses. And, you know, yeah, still to this day, I'm like, wow, it's such a powerful little ingredient that you can use for so many things. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, I could go on and on with all of these questions because my curiosity is so piqued. One final question I have is around how do you figure out what classes to take? Because that's where I got stuck. I didn't know if I should take a martial arts class for self-defense. Now I'm wondering about taking what gun classes would be beneficial for me from a survival standpoint. I got a bit overwhelmed. Are there, you know, do you recommend watching online versus, I mean, I, I would think taking them in person is the ideal, but yeah, maybe to start, are there channels? Do you cover these things on, in any of your videos? Like where do you begin and down this path of just training yourself from a very basic standpoint? So the, one of the reasons I put together 100 Deadly Skills Combat Edition in any of the 100 Deadly Skill books is a great starting point because it gives you the narratives, it gives you the illustrations in the do-it-yourself fashion. Then from there, you can kind of decide where your interests are, you know, and what you think are a priority for you and where you live or your family. Combat Edition, specifically, every illustration has a QR code that you can put your phone on it and then it'll take you straight to a video on how to do that particular skill with the expert that I went and interviewed. It's literally me and that person going through like how to hold pistol, right? How to shoot a pistol, right? So basic marksmanship or, hey, how to throw a punch. And it happens to be, you know, an Olympic medalist teaching you how to throw a punch, a boxer, right? So the reason I did that is because I had that question so many times. Where do I start? Where do I start? And most people are embarrassed to go into a facility and go, you know, hey, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. What do I do? The book really is a nice little guide to kind of give you a little bit of that edge before you walk in. That way you know what to expect. It also gives you a cadre of guys that teach this stuff. So not only is it giving you instruction, it's a catalog of experts that you can go, oh, Bill Rapier, oh, Dom Rosso. Now you get to know the guys, you get to know what they teach, and then you can go online and sign up for any other courses. And there's you know almost 20 guys in the book to choose from teaching all these different things. So I hate to plug it, but it was the main reason you know, why I put it together was because so many times people are like, where do I go to learn this stuff? How do I get started? It's that simple. Like, okay, you go to the book, you read the narratives, you look at the illustrations, you watch the videos, you get with a family or a friend, you practice some of it, and then you go, okay, now I'm ready to go to a course. And you'll show up to the course with at least a little bit of education so that you don't feel so dumb when it's your first time. <laughs> and all of that is at clintemerson.com. There you go. <laughs> Excellent, which I will be sure to link to all of this, all the books, all the resources that'll all be in one place with the transcript. And I've been taking notes on some of your great quotes. That's all there at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. So you can get it all in one place because I'm probably going to link to some of these tools that you've mentioned. And there's a lot here. I'm going to be going through the transcript myself afterwards to make sure I'm checking off all the important boxes here. I am very grateful to have Zencaster as a sponsor. They have been so supportive of the show through social media and newsletter shout outs. Plus, they have truly incredible customer service. Their all-in-one podcast production platform keeps getting better and better because they take user feedback seriously. I'm especially grateful for the HD video recording features, which makes it easy to put this show on YouTube and social media. 
If you want to try it out, visit Zencaster.com. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. It's free to try, and you can enter the code WELLEVATOR to receive 30% off your first three months of their pro plan, which, as I mentioned, is what I use for the show. If you have any questions about podcasting, send me a message, and I'd be happy to share more tips and tricks. And you also have your own podcast, right? So what do you talk about? on your podcast for those that might want to go listen to that too. Yeah. So can you survive this podcast? Really, once again, my lane, I label crisis management, right? And so the podcast, I have all and any guests and I basically put them through hypothetical crisis scenarios. And it's a choose your own adventure type game where I give them you want to answer A or B? Because depending on how the answer decides whether or not they survive the podcast. And so it's a lot of fun. It's a fun way to keep safety, security, and survival at the forefront of people's minds without all that kind of prepper, paranoia, put foil on your head, you know, kind of uh, stereotyping that's kind of come with it, right? Because I am not a prepper. I'm not a guy that puts foil on my head in case there's aliens or whatever. But I do believe that we should all be ready. And that's really what it's all about is readiness and self-reliance so that you can, you know, get through the day uh, for you and your family or friends. You know, that's really the goal. But that's can you survive this podcast? Amazing. Well, I can't wait to listen to that. I remember on my two of my big road trips, probably because I was trying to think of survival I listened to some audiobooks that were centered around there while I was driving from campsite to campsite. And it was really helpful because it put me in that mind mentality and gave me some tools, but they haven't covered quite what you do. So that is going to be on my playlist for the next big road trip that I do, or, or maybe even before I leave, <laughs> just so I feel extra prepared. I can't wait to read your books and I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing to support people that you know don't know where to start or maybe haven't even considered this because that awareness of even knowing that it's important is the very, very first step because a lot of people might consider it paranoid. Oh, I don't need to learn that. Or they might not even be aware of their privilege and think they don't need to learn it because they've never been faced with these situations before. And I think it actually benefits everybody to know this. And it helps perhaps ease some stress and fear when you're more prepared and aware. It helps you support others too and reminding them of these important tools. Because I know most people in my life don't seem to be that concerned, but I can lead by example by being prepared. And that just gives me a lot of peace of mind for whatever is ahead of us. In this, yeah. in this crazy time that we live in, you know? Yeah. So thank you for just all these resources. I'm so grateful that you have books and videos and podcasts and you're just covering all these bases. And thank you for taking the time today to share some of the overviews of all of that to encourage people to dive in deeper. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. And you asked some big questions and I tried to keep it as simple as possible. <laughs> but as you know, there are... You did an amazing job. Yeah, there are literally books and books and books over some of the subjects we carried, but or that we covered. And, you know, my goal has always been how do I simplify all that information? And that's what I hope everyone gets out of it. I hope everyone chooses to be, you know, an asset rather than a liability, you know, and just be capable so that you're not, you know, dragging someone else down. That is a fantastic point to end on because even that framework is inspiration for starting because I think just true of anything, you need somebody like you that says, this is the reason why and here's where to start. Because for someone like me who feels overwhelmed but also needs a little convincing, I need to know the why and then I need to know where to begin. Otherwise, I won't do it at all. So you are going to be the next step for me. And I'm so grateful for that. Thanks again for being here. For anyone who's curious about 
Clint's books and the resources and everything that we've covered, as I mentioned, that's over at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com in the podcast section. You have it all in one place for this episode, and I really hope that you check it out. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you, Clint, for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 